0: I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to be- Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Campbell's Footballs. Now for this episode I'm joined by four guys who've done so much in the world of football coaching Uh, But I've also had some really interesting careers as well in the world of football. We are joined by Daniel McKendrick, the Aberdeen University Manager. We're joined by Cameron Campbell, who is involved with Rangers and has done a series of coaching in Denmark and in Aberdeen. We've got Aaron Scully, who's involved with Aberdeen. And we've Adam McWilliam, who has just moved to the newly formed Buddy FC. Gentlemen, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope you're all well.
1: All right? no, thanks very much for
0: having us. It's, uh, it's great to have you all on. Um, first of all, how have you been coping through COVID-19? Because it really has been very, very strange times for everyone.
2: Um. Yeah, I'm coping well, doing fine, um, getting a lot of things done. You know, I've, I was uh, obviously the, the community trust side of things. I was fairly for a little two months during it, so i managed to quite a lot of things done. listening to a lot of podcasts, watch a lot of videos, get out on the bike a lot, go out and do a bit of running and stuff. So, get myself fit again, you know. So, I I quite enjoyed it uh, in a different sort of way. But yeah, I'm looking forward to just getting back to a new normal now. I think everyone almost is.
0: Yeah. What about the rest of you guys? Yeah.
2: So mine was different. I got
3: trapped in Ghana when COVID struck. Oh okay. so, uh, yeah, the president basically closed the borders, so I had to get a, a UK embassy flight uh, back home. So when I came back, I was still working for FC Northland over in Denmark and right to dream in Ghana, and then got recruited by Rangers during lockdown, so lockdown's been a bit, a bit crazy for me. We're um, we're back in full time and have been for the last three, four weeks as well, so been pretty hectic all in all. Mm-hmm. What about you,
4: Adam? Um, <laughs> I was same as Cam, but absolutely nothing like that. In terms of being stuck in Ghana, but no, I was I to finish my job with Southampton. Um, supposed to be going back home for a couple of weeks holiday, and just in between starting with United.
0: Dan, what what's it been like for you?
4: Uh, a bit different to the
1: others uh, because I'm not full time football like the other guys. Uh, so uh, I've been full time working with uh, my company in the oil and gas industry, and then. Bizarrely, probably COVID 19 made my uh, football workload heavier um, as a coach because I've had to prepare stuff to do from home as opposed to, to training sessions and do a lot more one to one stuff. But then, uh, a bit similar to Scully, kind of try to get myself back you know, in order and get myself fit again um, and basically join in um, with the rest of the guys. And we've actually got a little group on uh, my fitness pal between the four of us to, to give ourselves a little bit of competition to get fit, which well, was going quite well for a, a while, <laughs> well, it's gone a bit quiet recently since all the, everything started
0: to open up again. Yeah, yeah. Guys, it's really great to have you on the show. Um, can you give my guests a brief introduction as to what you do? Because I, I could do it, but uh, I, I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth. So we'll start from the top left and, and work across. So we'll start with you, Dan. Um, give us a little bit more about what you do.
1: Yeah, so... Uh... Football-wise, I'm head coach at Albion University in the North Region Junior Football Association. Uh, I've been there now, well, I've been there as a player. I started back five years ago and I've been head coach for the last three and a half years. Um, and that involves, obviously, the juniors on a Saturday. But I also sort of semi-manage the, the inter-university Bucks um, side of things on a Wednesday, albeit I can't get to games all the time due to my, my work commitment. But, um, that's what I've been coaching-wise for the last, last coming up to four years now actually with
0: the university. Mm-hmm. What about you, Cameron?
3: Yeah, so in my new job with Rangers, I'm the U18s coach. So obviously we're all full-time. So it's that, it's that little mix from development into competitive football because they're going from being amateurs when they're kids just playing under-16s to it's now their job, so they're moving that that transition period, but at the same time we're still in a, a competitive under-18s league in Scotland where the winners get to go into the Youth Champions League, which is probably the best tournament we have uh, across the world, so Rangers thankfully won it again last year, which means we'll be competing in the Youth Champions League, which I don't know if anybody's watched it over the last few nights, it was on BT Sport, I think Real Madrid won, uh, won it eventually, so that's really really me, that's, it takes up a lot of time when you're in full time. so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But it's really great to see you settling well at, at Rangers, uh, certainly early days of course, but it looks like you've uh, hit the ground running there. Aaron, what about yourself at Aberdeen? Yeah,
2: so I'm uh, involved obviously with the club at Aberdeen, uh, both the Community Trust and with the football club, so um, <coughs> I'm involved with the Community Trust as my full-time sort of job and then the Youth Academy um, as, a, as a part-time job as well. So. You know, from a full-time position at the Community Trust, that's within the football development department. Doing, um, we have like our primary schools football, where we have, you know, I'm sure everyone can remember their primary school days playing for their teams. So, uh, you know, I certainly do when I was playing. So, um, it's it it's great to get into to doing that again. I also, do the girls' league um, as well, which is again from our under sevens to under elevens girls playing for their teams, again something that, as I was growing up, you never normally didn't see as much girls playing football so you know it's great to be involved in something that that they can then do and get involved in a lot more Um, and it's refreshing to see it growing every year as well Um, and then one of my other roles is our newly uh, established performance squads and we're we're trying to get kids from about the age of 9 to 14 and then just give them extra coaching uh, during the week um, and sometimes at the weekends as well just on top of their club provisions. So that's my full-time job so that takes up a lot of time and then my part-time job obviously with the youth academy is uh, i take the under 12 squad so they're the 2009 age group it is just now and um, so that's just that they so obviously your foundation phase which is you know eight to 12 then you've got your youth phase which is from about 12 to 16 and then uh, sorry 13 to 16 and as can said you've then got your professional phase where he's working in and um, at rangers so i'm sort of just at the end of that children's phase so it's just trying to get them used to um, again, still fostering that love of the game, but they're um, now trying to think a bit more about moving into that youth phase and uh, you know mm. going up the going up the age groups as you like. So it's it's interesting, it's fun, and um, but very busy. So I enjoy
0: it and very diverse as well, by the signs of things, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Adam, we'll come to you. It sounds like you're back online, which is great. Um, uh, but us let, let's hear a little bit more about yourself and and where you are in your journey so far. Um,
4: yeah. It's pretty typical to be honest Same as pretty much everyone Obviously, says been calm and, and the boys Where it's, you start off Playing football at a young age Fall in love with it You want to keep doing it By the age of Pretty much six All you're going to do Is be a football player That's it You don't think about anything else Any other suggestion Just sounds stupid But Eventually you get to a point Where you're, you're probably Not going to be able to do it So You think about other options And I was very lucky That I um, had uh, A lot of support In terms of local clubs at Montrose, really good and, and allowed me to volunteer there while I was at college and managed to get to get to uni after that and, and get, my, get my degree while, while working full time for Montrose uh, with the community department there and got off to got off in a, a part time role, a dual contract with them in SFA mm-hmm. which was great, really good experience working with them and, and the, the academy under 16s there. Um, but yeah, fancy have a change, it was getting a bit, getting a bit samey and I wanted to challenge myself, and before I kind of settled down, and before I got kind of too old, I wanted to really challenge myself. So, wasn't quite Ghana, um, but moved to moved to Southampton, which was which was I actually moved as a as a casual coach. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is a bit when I think about it, it was pretty stupid to be fair. But um, moved down as a casual, didn't have a flat, didn't have anything. Staying in a Premier Inn <laughs> for the first week, for moving into a house share, which was an experience to say the least and um, eventually got offered a full-time contract and worked my way through the, the community department there and, and got offered a pre-academy role to do the under-8s which be kind of, obviously um, skills has just gone through the, the stages there so that's the one beforehand to do the under-8s which to be honest I absolutely loved um, it's, it's absolutely frightening I know pre-academy gets a lot of a bad rep from, from some people thinking it's too young to bring them in and things like that but as At happened, they created such an environment where it was, they just loved, just love football. Yeah. Yeah, there was no pressure on them. There was no none of this, you know, academy where it's too much pressure, and we just wanted them to play. It was just another extra couple of nights that they get to have a ball at their feet and play against top top oppositions and, and challenge themselves. So they still played with a grassroots team. So now I've got a lot, a lot within that pre-academy age group, and what we can actually do with with uh, with players that are so young. Um, but for me, it's just a bit too far from home. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had the opportunity to, to work at Man United presented itself, and it was one that I personally couldn't turn down. So, and um, yeah, so now I work with Man United, working with a school partnership officer, mm-hmm. supporting the community um, there. And yeah, signed for from AFC, which, which to be honest, it's it's a project that we work from the outside it, it looked massive and it was like a great opportunity but now, now we're kind of in it it's um yes yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to be honest and that's um i've loved every minute so far even though i've not been down long i've only been down for about five weeks but yeah it's been a bit of a whirlwind
0: um we've also we're well, always really interested to hear the diverse range that you guys sort of started out in your in your footballing journeys um in terms of inspirations and idols both in the game and personally to you who were these people in your journey and are they still around? Uh, what about professionals in the game, do you guys take advice from managers or current players? Well, I was thinking of this when you mentioned that earlier on, um, when you were brief,
1: bizarrely I didn't really have too many sort of like idols that I looked towards if I was to pick some out. Um, I've been an Aberdeen fan, I love Dean Jess, um, he was one of the, like, main 29, when I first started watching Aberdeen back in like 1997-98 sort of time he was like the main man and uh, he was a, an incredible footballer for, for that level at um, Aberdeen so I loved him but then I quickly realised I wasn't very good outfield and I was never going to beat Ian Jess so uh, uh, I moved into goals um, I don't know whether that was my choice or whether it was the coach at Elgin City's choice um, but uh, yeah I became a goalkeeper and uh, from then on it was a uh, Michael and Oliver Kahn—that was my two favourites because um, they were just <coughs> happy of the They were uh, like Oliver Kahn with everything you say about a goalkeeper that makes him good, mostly being absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, he he was—he was incredible though. Like everything was top quality, but also insane at the same time. Um, and Pierre Michael, I don't think that needs any explanation no. to anybody. else. He's uh, yeah a legend of the goalkeeping side of things. So. So that's why I looked at it, um, when
0: I was a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. What about Cameron?
3: Yeah, so I was that, that weird kid in school that supported a random team. So even from lost enough, I supported Arsenal for some strange reason from a really, really early early age. So on just signed when I started supporting Arsenal. So I mean, it's hard not to fall in love when you watch that guy play football. And uh, especially when the the French Revolution took part, in the style, of, style and brand of football that Arsenal played under Arsene Wenger early 2000s, going 99 and then for the next 10-15 years so I was a massive Arsenal fan and then to be honest as I made that move from uh, from playing to coaching people like uh, Arsene Wenger and Jose Mourinho and André those kind of people that managed to get into coaching without ever playing to a real level mm-hmm. just uh, provided a little bit of inspiration, Now, obviously I'm nowhere near that level and I don't even have any aspirations to go first team coaching but it does just show that if you you work hard enough and you're good enough that you can get opportunities within football and it's not a it's not a closed door so Arsenal really gave me a good platform both in terms of my playing days when I I used to go out and try and replicate Henri horrifically and, uh, and then I grew, you know, uh, grew up and became, became a coach so definitely Arsenal had a massive impact on that
0: yeah yeah a an, non-rea an class act and and, and Dan mentions uh, Kahn and Schmeichel I mean Schmeichel as a Manchester United fan myself Schmeichel for me set the benchmark in the Premier League for goalkeepers and Kahn up there and for me with Cassius and Buffon as one of the best goalkeepers on the European stage Aaron what about yours?
2: Uh, I'm a bit different to the guys again Like I didn't get into football till a little bit later um, you know, when you normally talk about when you, when you start remembering when you played football or whatever you you think kids normally start about five, six, they love it and maybe go to their first game. I was 11, 12 before I got into it. I absolutely hated it. Um I remember my, my dad and my brother would, would religiously on a Saturday, what have the Man United games on or Premier League games on or whatever. And, uh, and then got to, you know, I, I would be telling them to turn it off. You know, like, i want to watch something else. I want it Saturday afternoon. Like, I don't want to sit and watch this big green pitch on the, I just, I just thought it was rubbish um, until yeah, about the age of 11, 12 And I remember going down to watch um, my brother playing a Scottish Cup final. Um, he played for Albion at the time. Got beat six three. So um, I think he was about 16, I don't think he's scored either So, um, but I just remember being down there and being in the stadium. It was just different. You know, when you watch it on TV as a little kid. I was. I just wasn't that interested in it. But then I was in the the stadium, in the atmosphere. You know, obviously there wasn't a lot of people there. It was a under 14th juvenile scotch cup final but you know just the, the atmosphere um of it so i was a bit later getting into football and um, when i when i did get into football i mean i think i've been this height since i was about 11 12 years old so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, I, when i started uh, I, I went in as a as a center half the coach that i, the team I went to just says like right, you're gonna sit as a center half and i only uh, supported aberdeen growing up so <laughs> These guys are pulling out Oliver Kahn and Peter Schmeichel and Thierry Henry. I was Sander Diamond.
0: Big <laughs> <laughs> Xander had his moments did. for Aberdeen to be fair.
2: What, what a player, what a player. <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolute, baller. absolute baller, absolute baller. So yeah, uh, I didn't really have any idols growing up as I said I was watching, I was watching Aberdeen. It wasn't our most famous of, of eras when I was um, coming up and watching the game, so um, again, moving into coaching, probably the same as, as what Cam was saying, you know, I look up to the ones that are in that full-time positions at clubs at the highest level and that haven't really played the game before so the names that he's mentioned, obviously there's names like Michael Beale as well, who, who Cam knows quite well, so those sorts of names the guys that have made a, are making a living in the game without having played is, is, uh, is can do.
0: Really interesting, and I'm intrigued to know Adams because we've got a really good mix here already um from being up I, I wouldn't have many like individuals, especially when I
4: was younger. It was more just kinda of moments that I want to, to replicate. Um for example like, mate, the, the biggest one sticks in my mind when I, whenever I think about football when I was young was, was that James McFarland goal against France. Yeah. And that was, I was kind I probably tried that about a million times in games. I like, was gonna stop shooting but um, yeah. <laughs> I really care, to be Yeah, i was just keep shooting. Um, the star thing that yeah. moment, but yeah, it was probably uh, terms of being a player, that was probably it, player, it, was probably it until, until Ronaldo came on the scene um, at Man United, and then that was, that was probably it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, massive, absolute massive Ronaldo fanboy. Um, everything he does with us, both, both the way he works hard, is off the pitch, you know, his desire to continually get better. And I think it's an incredible example for players. I think too many young players see Ronaldo for, for kind of what he is now and the success he has and almost forget how hard he worked to get there yeah. um, so that was yeah, Ronaldo for me 100% and then going into coaching um, so probably different than, than the boys in terms of having one or two coach that like they followed themselves it was because I was so I didn't I didn't even think about coaching until until I, I wasn't going to be a player mm. um, I didn't get the grades to, 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 go, to go and be, be a PE teacher or anything like that and, and I kind of stumbled into coaching but I'm um, working in football, so t- never had that, that much of a coach and idol. It was mainly just kind of being against, sounds it, it a bit cringy but my, my peers, obviously, skulls at college together. He was always far far better coach than I was at college, and I was just kind of wanting to kind of get be better at him. And as I remember, um, within the you're <laughs> 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 No, correct. No, it was like you know, just a lot of things like that, and then obviously, um Seeing, um, seeing Cam and that do so well and obviously when he went away seeing the experience he had when he went away pushed me to want to go away so it, was, it wasn't so much in terms of an idol in terms of a celebrity and like that, it was mainly just surround yourself with, with people who are going to push you mm-hmm. and you're probably going to work harder to try and work, work harder than uh, the people around you, rather than just picking somebody a
0: celebrity and trying to work harder than them. Yeah, absolutely. A really interesting and varied mix from you guys, which I, which is great, because I, I wanted to get that coming out in, in that discussion. Let's talk about playing days before we move into coaching, because it obviously we, we're, we're talking from the coaching side, which is obviously the main crux of this. When you started, how confident were you that you thought you might have made it? And then when you realized that it didn't happen, how did you feel that it didn't work out the way maybe you anticipated it to work? Well, we'll start with you, Dan. What, 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 what was it like for you? Because I remember you in goal for Aberdeen University. The first time I met you was when you were in goal against Ellen United at the Meadows and you saved a penalty.
1: I saved a penalty and the referee made them retake it because I saved it and the guy cleared it and he infringed coming into the box too early and they scored the retake.
0: And I remember you asking me if I'd videoed it because I was actually outside and I, I I'd, I'd taken a picture of you in goal but I never took a video. So I couldn't send you evidence that if they, if someone had encroached or you'd moved off your line so I couldn't back you up mate. <laughs> well, I
1: think we did find that we did find video evidence and the guy was probably in a six yard box before the guy kicked. <laughs> <me.
0: laughs>
1: <laughs> will rightly. Anyway, won't so it's fine.
0: He's just making up excuses, Cameron. I'm still classing that as a save. It was a great save, to be fair, mate. It was a great save. But yeah, what was it like for you as a goalkeeper? Because, you know, we've often seen goalkeepers in the past, when they are on top form, they are match winners. But when they're struggling and they make high-profile mistakes, you know, they are made out to be the villain of the piece. And it can affect them mentally a lot more than a lot of other players in football teams.
1: Absolutely, and when you grow up as Elgin City's goalkeeper through the youth ranks, um, you can play amazing and still get beat six <laughs> 0 So it was uh, it was pretty testing. Like it is, a, it's a strength of character sort of thing mentally, um, and I think there is a lot of uh, truth in the whole. You've got to be a little bit mental to uh, be a goalkeeper, but I guess it's one of those ones that. I just loved flinging myself about the place. Like, I preferred goalkeeper training as opposed to games. Actually, I love just getting in, diving about the the, the pitch, and uh, making as many saves as possible throughout session. And I, I would argue that goalkeeper training is probably harder than outfielder training. Physically, um, it's it's constant. Um, Hard. Oh, these, boys will, these boys will disagree. <laughs> <laughs> There comes a point as well like when you're growing up, wanting to be a goalkeeper, that you realise that uh, you're not going to be bigger than five foot eight and that's going to hinder you. And then you also realise that, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people in the same bracket that are better than you. And, um, I think that probably about 15, 16, I think, because there was an opportunity to go to Dice Boys Club at one point when I was at Elgin. Um, Oddly enough, the same uh, age group as Graham Shinney and uh, Stuart Armstrong, and that Cami I think was in that Elgin boys and click team as well. And we got beat, um, which, well, that happened most weeks. Um, but I had a good game, and Dice approached me afterwards, but I was, I was three months too old, and that was kind of like the opportunity missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, I was at Elgin for the rest of the time, but started realising that I think maybe, maybe it's not going to happen. Um, not even going to make it like at lower leagues um so i started to work on uh, my school studies um i think my parents were forcing that anyway to be honest um so moved on to university and and actually probably the best thing from me really, i have thoroughly enjoyed university football Cami as well on the call he's a he played uni football for a while and it's it's a totally different aspect altogether. and uh when I look back, I'm not surprised I'm still involved in because I loved it so much playing, um, which is why I got involved and helped out every university as a player. And then after that, I became a coach. Uh, but the grab as a goalkeeper was, was different. Um, and I still I still would say that I preferred the training side. and I still try and get involved a little bit when I can as well, helping out the second, third or fourth university. I'll go in and, and do some goalies training and get my my glove back on whenever possible. Yeah, just to keep myself on for, for one more week at a
0: time. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like for you, Adam? Um, yeah, so I just talked on my phone
4: when
0: so oh, that. That's um, Yes,
4: yeah, so I started off really young playing. Turned out to be okay. Um, so I ended up getting playing more and more. So, turns out if you're good at something, you enjoy it more and um, there so many things I sat off because I was minging at it, Um, so I enjoyed it, kept playing and then I kind of bounced about the boys club, but it was so different to now. so I was like being a coach now we've got pre-academy age groups and I probably didn't join uh, an academy at Dundee until I was potentially 12, 13, which nowadays you'd think you look at 12, 13 year olds and you'd go, you know, you'd start getting into academy football pretty soon Whereas that was kind of just the norm. You play boys' club on your Sunday, then you play academy football on Saturday. So, um, so different to what it was then. But, um, yeah, same for Dundee. Played there until I was about seventeen, and then released. Um, went to Montrose. Um, then went to all the way up to nineteen. Got released. Went to Cove. Main skills won now. Uh, won a league title together. Um, for the twenties in Highland league. Um. And then signed for my toes first team, which was, which was probably it was actually, uh, it was a bit more for me personally just because I worked for them full time and you know, you, you see them all the time and you, you've got player visits coming in for the schools and things like that, so actually playing for them. Was, at the time, it was, uh, it was a really big deal for me personally, but it didn't work out. Most of the things so were, you know, injuries and um, the gafferage just not fancy, man.
5: Yeah. Um,
4: um, could I have done more 100% yeah, to, to, to put myself more back in the frame after the injury but um, there's a good few stories coming out of that one but um, it was a good time and then went to to uh, just and bounce about junior football for a bit after that mm-hmm. um, East Stonehaven um, loved that to be fair um, and that taught me a lot um, especially the coach nowadays I had a couple of great coaches there um, played against Dan's team played against the Unique team uh, once on. next next, next.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is this not ending well for you Dan? <laughs>
1: never does man uh, not for my goalkeeper not for the goalkeeper of the day He see straight from a corner and uh, proceeded to kick the ball off Adam's arms <laughs> into the goal from his own box um, <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. <Carry> on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, with went down to Southampton, played, again, I wasn't really that bothered about playing to start with because I just wanted to start working and get get my face around Southampton. but boy, that worked with, a played at Tottenham, really great set up there, they've got their own community department, a really great club, but it was never, you know, when I went out got off the job but, you know, yeah, there was no brain to leave that as well, so, yeah, started at Borough, which we had our first game, first game on Wednesday, two nights ago, and um, so that was the first ever game for Bury FC, which was which was great. Unfortunately, we were only
2: able to have 150 fans in. was mm. a shame. Yeah, it's I a shame.
0: <laughs> We'd love that at the uni, mate. We'd love that at the uni. <laughs> Aaron, I'm going to come to you next, because obviously Adam's just mentioned that you, you won the Highland League Under-20s, um, a title um, together. What was it like for you, you're playing this? Uh, yeah,
2: as I said, I got into it quite late, so... Uh, about 11, 12, um, decided, went through to uh, my mum and says, look, I want to I start playing football, can you get involved at a team? Well, I had a look, it was uh, Cove Youth I started at, um, the, the juvenile club there, so went along to training, and I remember I've, I've spoken to the coach, um, not that long ago actually, I spoke to him, and he says, nah. and I remember when you came to your first couple of sessions, he says, you're absolutely shy. <laughs> I'm just starting out. I'm glad he didn't tell me that at the time, or I probably wouldn't be sitting here. But he says after that first couple of sessions, he says you got yourself going and you were fine. So um, yeah, I, I played there for a, for a couple of seasons and um, ended up actually being captain. So that tells you a bit about his coaching as well. He's making the worst clear captain. I then moved on to, to Ferry Hill a lot of my I went to Harlow Academy so a lot of my mates played for, for Ferry Hill and they were a B team at, at the time so this was just as we're sort of transitioning 11-a-side football and they were they were a B team but a decent B team um, and, but we're also a really good a really good side when I think back to it now like it, it was a really really good side at the time we finished top of the B league I think we'd only conceded seven or eight goals in the whole season um, in, the, in the B league so we did did really well. I think we got to the last 16 in the Scottish Cup as well. Last 16, of the last day of the Scottish Cup. So for a B League uh, team to, to get that far and do as well as we did, it, it was, I, I loved it. Um, obviously, it was all my mates that I was at school with, so it was, it was really good, well played for the school team as well. Um, and then from there, because I mentioned, obviously I went down to watch my brother playing for Albion in the Scottish Cup, yeah. Scottish Cup final. It's sort harder of then when I, I was saying to myself when I was younger, you know, if Albion ever came in from it, I would, I would love to go there because just from watching my brother playing. So, um, yeah, they'd, they'd come in for me. So, went, went to there. But I think at my age group at, at Albion we would had uh, a lot of players had left, and then they'd taken in a lot of e league players. So there was a, a little bit of like, mm, not sure how they're going to get on. Um, and our age group, the the dice team that was our age group, so it was always Albion dice as I was off of the two sort of teams that were, mm-hmm. that were at the top of the A leagues at the time. And that Dice team that we were up against was the Dice team that won the Scottish Cup I think it was four years in a row that won the Scottish Cup um, so they were a really good side but they always seemed to win the Scottish Cup They always seemed to win the league so um, we'd won about three or four three or four leagues in the bounce and they'd won three or four Scottish Cups in the bounce and we'd always said I'd love it if we could just win one Scottish Cup um, but never never managed it again from there went on to went on to Cove as I was saying had a really good couple of coaches there first went into the 17s it was Tommy Forbes. Um I don't think he's got a team just now but he was obviously just of a band to just last season and uh, Greg Matheson was the two coaches at 17s um, he's obviously now at Turf, Turf United and um, Lucas Hunter so two great coaches to learn off of you know I remember standing in the freezing cold pissing rain and they were doing a three-five-two shaping session and I absolutely loved it yeah. you know normally when you think about shaping sessions or anything you know, players you can't stand them, but I remember standing there like buffing it because they were just teaching me so much. So, yeah, it, it was good again. Then, uh, uh, same as I, I sort of bounced, I bounced around the, the junior leagues so a wee bit for uh, a few teams going on loan. Went to Keith Three for a bit as well. Yeah, for- how long have you got? I think the, less, the rest of this podcast will just be me naming the team, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I went to, went to Keith um, and I, I signed there from I uh, signed a two year deal there, so I was doing quite well. Um, and McKeith um, playing every week. Um, I think we'd started the season I'd went sort in of January time alone from Cold and then Keith signed me in the summer. Um, this was a few years ago now and then we'd started the season off quite well, played against Bucky who just won the league the, the year before set up the winner, put in a cross, and um, would beat them two one and I remember I, I still get sticks from some of the points from Keith to this day, but I did an interview after the game um, with the local newspaper, and I said, you know, what's your, what's your aims for this season? I says, you know, we're just want to, to push as high up that table as we possibly can. And he, the guy turned around to me and says, oh, do you think a league title push is on the goal? <laughs> you know, and you can't exactly turn around and go, hey, come on, these serious here. Like, with well, Keith, you know, we're not going to have a league title push. But I naively turned around and says, oh, you know, you never know in football. You know, you've got to always aim high. Um but yeah, still got a bit of spit because the boys were saying after it, you know, you're expecting us to have a league title push now, Aaron, come on. Um, so I the case and then started getting into coaching, so I kind of fell away from being a bit more. But yeah, as I said, it's locked out to being all right. be alright. i I've been trying to get myself fit, hopefully get back in a little bit more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Soon. Really interested to hear that story, Aaron. Uh, Cameron, what was it like for yourself, my good man? Uh,
3: my career was probably summed up by my first appearance in Football Manager when they described my right foot is weak and my left foot is weaker
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love Football Manager so that, that stance you just made is just fantastic so I'll leave it to you to continue on with there
3: <laughs> I was the same with Dan uh, started with Elgin when I was really young like 9, 10 obviously our location and that Elgin pick up all the the best players, not saying I was one of them, but you almost get lulled into a false sense of security because you you think you're you're decent because you're playing all the local teams, and then you go play play a few of the cities, and you find out the truth. But no, Elgin was great. Uh, played there for a few years up until about uh, 15, 16. Uh, one player of the year, at 15s, and then unfortunately I got I got injured with had uh, a few medical issues. So I was out for a year and. Like to be honest there's no chance i was ever going to make it that's that's not what stopped me getting in the game but it did derail a little bit and at the time ross company had come in and offered me a place to go to ross County at 15. but uh, my mum and dad said no without telling me and i found out later which caused a few fights but uh, it was just purely because of the, the travel and the distance yeah they were uh, much much more insightful than i was and they knew i was never going to make it so they didn't want me wasting time traveling up and down that road mm-hmm. so I, instead i could focus more on school work which turned out to be the best path but after that year out where i was basically KO'd for the year i went to actually went and played amateur football which was amazing because it was just fun i was 15 went and played for a team called murray social which mm-hmm. is defunct now and uh, we won the league in my first year which was it was just great, cause as a wee 15-year-old, you're playing against men that just love the baby, and like <laughs> half that, so you're running the show, cause you've got legs if nothing else. So it was, it was really, really good. good. Uh, I then joined Lost United in the juniors, another club that's defunct. I don't know if I'm the kiss of death or not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you said it, not us.
3: <laughs> so uh, when we played for Lost United, cause my dad was on the on the board there, again, it was really good. And Elgin actually uh, signed me back when I was 16, 17 after playing for uh, uh, Lost United. So, so we went back to Elgin, which was such an experience, man, because we were training with the first team at 17, but the first team at Elgin at the time, under uh, Ross Jack, trained at Ross County. Mm-hmm. So we, we would get a minibus. There were a few of us local guys, like six or seven of us. We'd get a minibus or a lift right up to Ross County. So you'd be training at 8 o'clock up there in Dingwall but we would leave at like six to get there on time. You train for an hour and a half, then you get home at 11, then you're going to school the next day. But a few of the guys came through it. Uh, Brian Cameron, who's still, I think he's a club legend now, he was in that group as well. But I think the, the determining factor was when I made my debut for Elgin City, I'd just had my ear pierced, I was 16, 17. <laughs> And uh, after that, it was like, you need to take that out before you play. And I was like, oh, Just a young guy at the time, eh? like a, a stupid naive wee boy, I was like, Oh sorry Gaffer, I can't, like I've just I've just had this done it. And <laughs> it just looked at me with absolute disgust. So at that moment there I knew it was probably never gonna be a, a feature, not not only just because my ability, but that horrific earring that I had to place in my ear. So after then I actually snapped my ankle and uh, ended up going to a few clubs after but never really enjoyed it the same. But even when I was at Elgin when, when the first time I went back at 1617 and started training with the first team. I just started getting fascinated with the actual tactical side of the game, mm-hmm. so every time the manager would speak and even at that level in the third division, the old third division, things were all geared to winning and I just really used to enjoy that side of the training. Same as Scully saying there in terms of you'd, you'd actually find more enjoyment from listening and thinking about that rather than doing the drills and the passing drills and the finishing drills, so that was probably what sealed sealed my fate there at Elgin. There.
0: And you've come come on to a really interesting point, Cameron, because my next question was, when was the moment in your journey that said, I want to give coaching a really, really strong go at you? I'll come back to you because you've sort of mentioned that in your sort of next answer. So I'm just going to let you continue on that story.
3: Yeah, so it was one of those, like, loved watching football and I was just really fascinated by, like, how teams play. So at 16, I've played lots of positions because I was that. I was that shy i got moved around a fair bit we're going from right mid to striker and then eventually into midfield but once i went to midfield later on at 17 18 you actually have an appreciation of other people's movements and what actually has to happen within the game so as soon as that started and then i got injured and again i realized i was never going to make a level like the maximum i was ever going to play was part-time i then took it upon myself i was like right if i'm ever going to have a realistic chance of actually making it in coaching i need to start young because in coaching Rightly or wrongly, you can have this debate. Ex-pros do take preference because of what they've done in the game, and there's some place for that. But if you've never played the game to a high level, you need to go and earn your stripes, and you need to graft, and you need to just put the hours on the trainer pitch to earn that earn that respect. So mm-hmm. at 19, when I left Elgin the second time, I decided, right, this is this is what I want to do. So I just started putting all my time and effort in there, going through my, my SFA coaching badges, and then started to help out like i think my first coaching coaching position if you can call it that was i took the high school team because i'm still in high school the sixth year and i did like the first and second years and that and it was oh it was a good laugh but symbolic but it's one of those <laughs> where that transition led you into the angle well
0: it's character building isn't it like, at the end of the day and
3: it's, it's one of those where you actually learn that you quite like working with players because Fundamentally coaching is just about managing people and it's just about like if you can't get people to either relate to you or have that connection with you, you can never actually coach them so before you even start speaking about the X's and O's and all that tactical stuff that I spent my days in the office at Rangers speaking about, it's just about getting on with people and having a bit of personality about you so that's pretty much what got me into coaching to start with. Yeah,
0: Yeah, really interesting to hear that. I, I love the way you use that term of X and O's. I think that's a really good uh, way of describing things. What was it like for you, Aaron, go, moving into moving into coaching?
2: Um, I sort of fell into coaching by accident, to be honest. Um, I'd always wanted to be a PE teacher. Um, so I'd applied to go to uni uh, down in Edinburgh uh, to do the PE teaching course down there. But didn't get the grades. Didn't get the good enough grades to get in. I think they were looking for two Bs. Was my was my conditional offer, and I got an A and a C, um, but I didn't level out. So um, I had to go to college. I was actually coaching at Ian Wilson at the time. I'd still wanted to be. Even at this point, I didn't think about coaching or football coaching. Um, and one of the, the coaches there suggested going to going to college and getting a like, years under my belt. of Going to college and then maybe go to uni after that. So but even that's where I met Adam. Was it was at college. I um, still remember when I walked into the room on our first day of college and Adam was sitting there on his own at 8 o'clock in the morning so I thought, Man, I need to go and sit next to this guy because it would be pretty awkward if I just go and sit on the opposite side of the room and if, we, if I did sit on the opposite side of the room we probably wouldn't have even known each other but I'm sure we'd have got on each other so but um, went to college yeah, even at this point mm-hmm. we were, you know, doing coaching at college I never really thought about it as a, as a career or as a job um, I always wanted to do the PE teaching um, and I suppose it wasn't until I got more into it, I got involved, obviously, at Aberdeen and the community trust at Aberdeen that I realised, wait a minute, there's actually guys that do this as a as a career, they do it as a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was then that I thought, right, I'm going to have a real good go at this. And, but my aim at the time um, was to become full-time in the community trust. And that was, as I was coming into in the second year at college, I didn't really apply myself in college. I didn't finish my college course, which I kind of actually regret to this day, but I didn't finish the course because halfway through the course, the second year of the course, um, was the Scottish FAC licence. And I went on that. And during that, um, I mean, I was already really far behind in, in, in my co- college work anyway. But halfway through that course, i got a phone call from Neil Simpson, um, who had spoken to the course tutor at the time and had asked about if there was any good coaches on the, on the course. And um, thankfully the, the course tutor had recommended myself um, out of everyone that was on the course and I got a phone call from Neil sort of offering me a job um, with the youth academy um, and you know who who turns that down as a young coach mm-hmm. so and when I'd gotten into the youth academy it was sort of you know in my head I was saying to myself I don't really as naive as I was at the time I don't need this college course anymore because I'm going to go and do coaching I'm going to go and coach at Aberdeen that's what I want to do um, and then the next sort of aim was right, getting at Aberdeen and then get to the community trust side of things because the community department, especially with Aberdeen, because we're not the biggest football club um, compared to a lot of your big clubs down in England or even yourself and your Rangers in terms of the resources that they have, Um, you know, there's not as much full-time jobs within the youth department, so there's not as much full-time coaching positions, so getting into the community trust and then trying to get a full-time job with them um, was was the aim, and thankfully I managed to do that, that's where I am today, so...
0: Yeah, really interesting to hear that and, and Neil Simpson is a, is a club legend isn't he and, and I, I love that interaction that you had with him I think that's absolutely fantastic Dan we'll come to you next I mean when when did you kind of feel that you wanted to take the goalie gloves off and decide to take on management at the university
1: um, again similar to going from outfield to goalkeeper it probably wasn't my choice <laughs> um, so you
0: made one too many howlers <laughs> no I
1: think- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think the manager made one too many hours and uh, uh-uh. stormed off. Stormed off in training one night, and uh, yeah, the no old manager. I, I won't name him, but uh, in between myself and you and Rob, this guy he was uh, he was in and. Uh, one training session at night, I was away with the other goalkeeper, um, and, and bizarrely, I did a little bit of coaching goalkeeper side of things all the time, ever since I was like 18, maybe, throughout university. We were doing our goalkeeper thing, and the uh, university team, outfielders were with the manager, and all of a sudden, everything just stopped. Manager threw down his bib, he walked all the way to the other side of ASV to shake my hand, and my hand only, and then walked out and never came back. Um and after that, it was a little bit awkward. Of like, don't really know what's happened to you. Is he like? Is he is he angry? Is he quit? Is he still here? I don't know.
0: Um, How bizarre.
5: Yeah, I mean, but the writing
0: was on the
1: wall from a few weeks before because we had Kelly Hearts in the Scottish Cup, and uh, he decided that he would go to some sort of like baby shower or something, like instead in Ireland, and uh, the assistant manager decided to go for a game of golf. So, um, I had to take charge of that game in like the bottom league of the North Region Juniors against Kelly Hearts, who had uh, Stephen Husband of uh, Blackpool and Hearts and Craig Thompson, ex Hearts and uh, Scotland Youth um, on the wing and uh, I remember him saying that you take charge, I'll tell you what to do and uh, just do what I say and it'll be okay and I think everybody at that point knew it will not be okay <laughs> So we all want to do what you say. Um, <laughs> see, what we us to go down to Kelly Harts, down there, on their massive Astro Park against like ex-pros and play 4-3-3 in a team that can't even beat Crude and Bay at a time. Um,
0: and... Uh, <laughs> we, played, we played
1: 4-3-3, but the, the wide attackers played as wing-backs, and um, it was almost like a, a, six,
0: a 6-3-1. Um, Craig Levine beat, tactics! <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. We, managed, we managed
1: to score a very good goal that game, um, we could be 6-1. And then a few weeks happened, and uh, the uh, the gaper finally left at the camp. It was it was always it was inevitable. It was just we didn't know when and didn't know how. Um, and I took charge, and bizarrely, actually, um, my first game in charge as caretaker was Ellen United. Um, and it was supposed to be caretaker. However, like similar to what Cami mentioned before about like how he he was really into the tactics side of things. Like we all have little niches of like, and I'm like my professional job as well. I'm all about organization and structure in mm-hmm. a group. And when you've got a task, you have to mm-hmm. do things in a set way, as you go. And that was something that university missed. So I just wanted to bring in a of structure towards set pieces and the play that we had. Um, and all of a sudden, like, the boys just kind of jumped on it and were like, do you know what, we've not had this before. And I was just stealing stuff from a previous coach, a guy, Chris Smith, at headed what University and Michael Rennick. Um, those two were brilliant. Um, I've mentioned Christmas to you before. I have getting a chat with. Um, you have. those guys were those guys were brilliant because they thought about a lot of different aspects and kind of took the responsibility off the players onto the coaches and said basically, as long as you do as what I say, it's it's on, it's on me um, if it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, however, if uh, if you don't do what I say and it doesn't go right, then then it's on you. Uh, and I, I just kind of put in a bit more organisation to the, the team. And all of a sudden, two weeks' caretaker turns into four years in charge.
0: Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You are like the Tommy Wright of the team. You're you're, there, so you're still there and, and still punching yeah. the team above its weight and, and still doing well. And you, you grow a little bit though. Yeah. It
1: takes over you and you just it spirals into something big. And you start looking at getting your coaching badges and I'm, I'm starting to work more through those now. Um, because Covid actually has been a great opportunity with SFA to, to roll out coaching badges to a lot more coaches and I think in a better way that's more available as well, so I have really took advantage of that recently and and opened up my eyes a little bit to to how we can expand things with university and also like my my career as a coach as well. Yeah. Uh, And just kind of building up to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really, Really interesting to hear that, Dan. Adam, you're still technically playing as well, but you've done a little bit of coaching, I take it, and I'm interested to hear your side of things.
4: It's hard not to take the technically part of
0: that sentence Hard, but I'll, I'll skip past that. <laughs> Sorry for my poor line of questioning. He's <laughs>
4: watching the highlight
0: <laughs> reel. Technically, I am something. That might be an edited i Nah. <laughs> oh, he's cut out now! Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No comms. Uh, we can uh, see you
1: looking. Leave that in of
0: Oh, I yeah, told, oh, oh, name name oh, oh no, he's back! He's back. Oh, or is he back? He's still smiling oh, away. Oh, he reminds oh. me of the villain from Toy Story One. <laughs> said the said the guy from Toy Story One. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Sorry, Adam. Please excuse my uh, my. Um... Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> no?
4: Keep going, keep going. I'm enjoying it. No, <laughs> <laughs> Nah, um, yeah, no, I'm still playing for a Buddy. That's it's going well to be fair. Uh, the the, uh, the attention that it's getting it's, it's kind of escalated massively. I didn't expect it to be as much, but um, yeah, I'm loving that side of it and, and, and still playing. But yeah, and there was a couple of moments I think, growing up that I probably thought, "My it's, it's one of them that I'm not going to make as a as a full time player." Um, so I need to think about other options, but. Um, same as Scully, to be honest. It was one of them when at school, and I, was, I, I went to I, I a great second school, and it was and it was brilliant. But in terms of knowing the opportunities that are there in football, it's changed so much over the years. But to think about how many jobs there are working within, I mean, obviously, in my United the size of the club it's, there's there's a, so many jobs that you can go into. And I wasn't aware at that time, so obviously I thought you know we're going to be a PE teacher. If we can't if you can't be a player. Um, but then just kind of managed to find out about Montrose Community Trust and I was playing there and I, the biggest probably the biggest turning point was I was at Montrose so playing with, the, with the, well I was on the bench for the first team warming up and um, technically technical Montrose I'm ten, on the bench Paul, uh, Paul Hegley he who's the guy at the time Cause when I, I'll have him we come so I'm, I'm running back now at this point I, I work with the Community Trust so i like so I see all the kids that the kids that I work with with the teams at the ball boys. So as I'm running I'm as I'm running I'm giving them high fives as I'm running back and they're like, oh, and you go and you can proper buzzing. Um I get back, I take my bit off and as <laughs> if I'm waiting. Like I go and stand next door in the front. So i am been to Lynx Park, you got to stand behind I Go and stand next to and he's just hanging those. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> 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 Turns out you're, you're only like players warming up at a time, so he needed me, me to come back so he could send someone else out that he was actually going to play. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I've gone. And um, yeah, the bibs, the bibs come back on. The kids are about giving high fives, so they're like, Did you not? You're not coming on. Like, no, nah, he, he just wanted a word, he just wanted to chat about something. Um, so yeah, just went and had a seat and I remember sitting there I wonder, um, wonder if I coached the 16s I wonder what they're doing um, on a Thursday night instead so there was a couple of moments as a player where I thought yeah, it's probably not going not gonna to work full-time yeah, that. but you know, I love my time I know as a player and as a player it's one of them I'll always keep playing for as long as I can and I took a bit of time off at St Hampton when I first went down there just to focus on coaching just focus on my, my full-time role in the community as well because um, so it was a big room down there, I needed it to work career-wise. Um, so I took a bit of time off from playing, and for me, i really already missed it. And think it was it's the boys, and we can speak to the boys and, and, and Dan and Scott and Cam. They always tell me to keep playing as, as long as we can, and you will regret it when you stop. So um, yeah, I'm just gonna keep playing. I think it's uh, it's a really great project. It's probably gonna be there for quite a long time.
0: I've just taken the piss to the guys and the rest of the group by actually putting a a meme of you as Sid from Toy Story 1 to the group which I just think is absolutely priceless and your paused face when when this Zoom call was taking place was just very very funny. I had to do it, it was just a spur of the moment thing. (laughs) To catch up with more Campbell's Football's podcasts, please listen to more on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to talk about advice you would give to guys of all ages and women as well who are interested in going into coaching wherever they are in their careers at the moment. Yeah. Work okay. harder than anyone else. Um, you know, yeah, we're,
2: we're going into it's obviously, football coaching is a career, and wasn't a thing, you know, a, a while back. You know, but it's more prevalent now. You've got more clubs with their community departments. Um, you've got there's more opportunities to work full time with youth academies in, in terms of our coaching in, in the coaching. And as Cameron mentioned earlier on, you know, there's there's uh, the ex pros get opportunities well before um, you know young coaches do. Um, so. It's just about working harder than anyone else. Put in the put in the hours to, to learn. I think as well getting a mentor, getting somebody that you can look up to, that mm-hmm. you can get advice from, both, you know, good and bad, and having a real you know, I think a real drive to go and learn more. You know, I think as soon as you start to you know, you become more successful in coaching and you get more opportunities to do more things, it's very easy to let that take over you, and the ego becomes a thing and you know, that then you you, you know, you drop your standards, and become complacent but it's, I think it's so important you know not having any ego like being as humble as you possibly can learning as much as you possibly can from whoever it is and um, their experiences in football and um, as I said getting a mentor learning from somebody in the hours um, and take away that ego is, is the main advice I would give them.
0: Before we move on to chatting to the, others, the other guys in, in this discussion do you think the fact that ex-pros get bite of the cherry is that unfair on the rest of very hard working guys like yourselves and other people who may be interested? Do you think the system is wrong in that regard?
4: Um,
2: it depends in a way, because you know, you do have some players that you know, you can't take away they've, they've had their experiences from playing, they've learned from, you know, where we're learning from um, you know, people that have felt, uh, maybe not played the game and we're taking from our own experiences, you know, they're in although they're playing, you know, if they've got an idea of what they want to do after football they've got the perfect opportunity to learn from managers and coaches that are at the top of the game, you know, whether it's Scottish football English football, whatever it is there, they've got the opportunity to learn from managers, so I wouldn't say it's wrong, I just you know, there's just that, you just have to do the the hours with it, you know I think it's a, a different sort of thing you know, people use the term young coaches and, you know, if we were to say you know, I've probably coached in about 300-odd games, it's probably the same as, as Dan Ads there, like, I'm probably coaching about 300-odd games, you know, if you were to take a player that's played 300 games, you would call him an experienced player, Absolutely. You know, so I, I take the, the 300 games as, you know, that's 300 opportunities I've had to learn, it's um, 300 new games that I've had to think about and different scenarios that's going on in it, so, I mean, I'm not calling myself an experienced coach, but it's more just you're building that experience up in a different way. Um, which is which is really important so I wouldn't say it's wrong, you know, these ex-pros are, if they've got that belief they've already been at that level, they know what it takes to be at that level um, but it, it just means that the people that don't have that experience have got to build their experience in a different way
0: Yeah, very interested to hear that point of view and a really, really good answer as well for me, Aaron. I'll move to you, Dan I mean, what advice would you give to, to people that are interested in going into coaching at all levels? Uh, I think
1: Aaron nails it a bit with uh, trying hard and always wanting to learn and I think it's very important and and being part of university football you see a tight, slight different slant on things but treat it as you would any other job within your life like you can't expect out more than you're willing to put in and if you do that then you're you, you not a winner yeah. um, if, if you get things wrong if you're not willing to put in um, the effort you won't achieve what you, what you want um, to get out of it and uh yeah it's well i guess when you talk about all levels it, it, it does some people maybe want to go in part time so you need to you need to kind of have a success criteria for what you want to achieve from it whether it's enjoyment or whether it's progression um but if you, if you want to go into like, the the more serious side like you've got to treat it as a, a profession not a hobby right it is something that you have to you knuckle down hard and it's like anything else in life if you want to be an architect, you've got to study at school, go to university, get the grades, work hard to become an architect. And it's the same when you become a coach. And if you want to get to an elite level of anything, you have to put in the graph to get. Um, and you've also got to be humble. Like that's a very good word to use, humble. Um, and sometimes it's just accepting you're not that great, or you've made a mistake somewhere, um, and that's not not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you learn a lot from. Your mistakes and the things you do maybe slightly wrong, and probably learn more from them is to help. Right, that didn't work. What can I do better next time? And it's just kind of having the humility to admit that mm-hmm. and say, right, fuck that. Let's do it differently next time. But yeah you'll see an awful lot of folk that uh, are just the blue-eyed boy can do no wrong and
0: uh, stubborn in their own ways.
1: Yeah, but they'll reach a ceiling. with that opinion. Yeah, so in my, from my view, I, I think that's where you'll fall down. You've got to accept that. You're not there, and I don't know if there's ever really an, an end to it. You're always wanting to progress. You're always wanting to get better, yeah. um, and that should be the attitude you have. Yeah, and that's the same as when you're a player, same as when a coach, and also other, any any other walk of life that you're in. Yeah. And being part of the university football club, is that that actually really kind of hits home, and I use that a lot in my training sessions and my my team talks. Sometimes I relate. Some of them some of them probably hate it actually. They'll they hear it every year. The boys are in the, the third, fourth year of university. When I bring out the whiteboard and I go, Right, treat this game as if you were a, a, a an ordinary day at work and I'll pick one of them and tell me the, the degree and uh you can see a few boys football the guys and go, oh, fuck here we go again. <laughs> um but I say like what like what do you do when you go to work? And it's like turn up on time and and then it's the communication side of things and like coaching is just it's a job at the end of the day yeah uh, it's an hobby and like you've got a responsibility for a lot of people underneath you
0: you can't take it lightly um, and you've got a real opportunity to manipulate people's futures absolutely and it's, it's an
1: awesome opportunity it's something that people don't get in life in, mm-hmm. in your day to day jobs you've actually got a chance to be a real big part of someone's career mm-hmm. um, and, and who they become especially at youth level and um, you can really change a kid's outlook
0: on life. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And that really brings me on really nicely to, 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 to Cameron's story of obviously being involved with Rangers. And I want to ask Cameron especially. I mean, when you're involved with Rangers, the expectations will be probably even higher than at some of the other clubs that we've mentioned on this list, but you know, what what advice would you give in in the, the short period of time you've been involved with a very prestigious club obviously in, in Scotland? Well the guess advice is
3: you need to enjoy what you do. Like just, I'm not going to echo what Dan or Scully said about coaching and obviously so much time and effort needs to be put into it if you're going to do it to a half decent level but see if you don't have that actual enjoyment to sit and research or be open minded to learn to, to graft all these things it just comes back to like just having that pure enjoyment of what you do and again I think far too many coaches get caught up in wanting just to focus on the football and they forget about the, the person within the player and that's that's a big one because, like even again even in my role at Rangers, the guys Dan's saying there, the guys are actually doing it as a job. So whereas Dan's relating his his chance back to the university and like right, what degree are you going to do and how you going to act in the workplace, us to do that football, I'm different. We are we're turning up to training, and that's literally their job. They're paid to come and play for Rangers Football Club. One hundred percent. There's an expectation for that, so it's just working off that basis and. Again, like, just going back to the whole do pros get more chances than, than non-pros, and they do, and it's, it's something that's probably never going to change. Germany have probably got the best best track record of having that look beyond it, and to be honest, I don't think it's the pros' faults, or the, or sorry, the, the ex-pros' faults, or the, the non-pros' faults, it's who's hiding. Like, you've got to be able to look beyond that reputation and actually look, because having done my A, my B, and working, in football, the level I have just now, you come across ex-pros that literally dedicate their life and graft so much to the actual coaching side of the game. Sure. But then there are the pros that give it a bad name. So we can't just be casting off everybody in this one thing that oh, all ex-pros are just lazy and lying on their experience as players, blah, blah, blah. There's so many different levels to it that's unreal. So it's got to come down to A, you've got to know that you're, you're starting off with a limitation like anything else got to do something to overcome that limitation so for me overcoming that limitation was working in a different country and working in different leagues and getting that experience to help me level when i'm going Mm. for job applications if somebody's going against me that's just played in scotland all their career at least i've got something to rival them so it's one of those but everything literally comes back especially when you're talking about all levels of the game Mm. those coaches that give up their time and i think all three of us four of us I've spent time playing at a level where everybody's a volunteer. Yeah. It's the coaches that are setting up games, whether it's junior and often Highland league level, the committee that do all that dirty side of the game just to let games go ahead. They're all volunteers, so see if you don't have that enjoyment. Nobody's going to put that time or effort into actually making sure that on a Saturday at 3 o'clock or whenever your team plays, there's actually a game for kids or adults to go play in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really interesting to hear that Dynamic from your side in comparison to what Dan and, and Scully's was. I think that was a really interesting s- side of the view to, to see. Uh, Adam, what's your position on this? Because I'm intrigued to know your your situation.
4: Um, for me, the biggest one would be who you surround yourself with. Surround yourself with with people who are better than you. Um, it's very easy to to look at when you join a when you join a group. When you go into your first, whether let's say your college class or your or your your team, it's very easy to to you know it's always that pre-season one when the we are right, we're doing a bit of running and you, you pick the, the two fattest guys to go and join their team so you know you're going to be last you know it's, it's, it's always easy to, to pick the people who you're going to stand out against you know go and, go and put yourself because people are better than you go and you know, surround yourself obviously Cam and, and Skulls and Dan and Dan's in terms of his junior management and when I was playing juniors you know potentially thinking about going into junior coaching at one point I was on the, on the phone to Dan asking for a bit of advice on that side. Skull's obviously at college kind of carried me through the coaching side of there and then Cam with his experience moving away. So I 100% put I am today. It wasn't for the boys and it's, it's, as I say, it's so easy to tell yourself who, who you are, who you're better than, but not trying to get out of that habit. Um, see every session like it's your first, I think. Or see every session like it's an interview, I think. So it's so easy for the first couple of sessions to be that one that's really really early, that one that's plans everything well in advance, and you're you're buzzing for it, and then you do it for a couple of years, and you think, oh, get get this get a bit boring, no? You want know, to keep your standards high throughout. And, and then the last one is I think part of my, part of my role with, with United at the moment and, and, and a few others is, is working in schools and delivery, and I think we're reading autobiographies at the moment because we're we're working with a bit of. Um, reading a bit of English and developing kids' literacy through football, mm-hmm. and we're reading autobiographies and, and listening to Gareth Bale and Ronaldo talk about theirs. And there's always a chapter, always, always, regardless of what it is, a chapter about their youth coach um, or youth coaches they had, and it's whether that's whether it's a positive one and the impact they had, or whether it's a negative one and they want to prove them wrong. I always think that if this player that you're working with, if they were to make it as a professional, what would they say? within their chapter about you as a youth coach would it be positive are you that coach that's constantly um, giving them the confidence to go are you believing in them are you that coach that's uh, kind of stacking off a little bit so every single player that you're working with if, if whatever they would make as a coach as a player um, always have in the back of your mind what would they say about me in that, in that little chapter um, for when they were a player so not that be it but the last thing you know it sounds a bit, it sounds a bit obvious but just don't don't Hard to put it another way, but don't be a prick. Be <laughs> wrong, You're better than anyone else. Don't, you know, as things go, have a knee on the head and just turn off and be humble and, and just listen. Yeah, be willing to learn. You
0: no, know, it's a, it's a really nice, varied and really interesting discussion there, and and some really nice elements have come out of that. <laughs> Obviously, Dan has got us grouped together because he knows you guys very well. I don't know you guys at all, particularly apart from Dan through bowling, um, which is a slight other story which we'll come up to at a different time. Um, but I want to ask about you guys' memories and moments as, play- as guys together. Uh, and as individuals I mean you, you guys have known each other for much longer than probably I know I mean what are some of the stories that you guys could tell me how did you first meet each other would be a, a really good opening question for me
2: uh, this group probably came together as I says, I I uh, met Ades at college um we kind of got to to know each other as he says I, I kind of noticed that he was one of the better ones in the course ads hit the nail on the head with that, that when you want to you want to surround yourself with good people so got myself in and speaking my ads and we, we probably best mates on that college course um, with each other and then i then i then met cami and um, on well it was license actually that I was saying earlier cami was actually on that course and um, we didn't really speak as much and um, but when i got that phone call Neil to say oh we want you to come in and, and uh, coach, with the, coach with the youth academy it was actually Cammy that I was going in to coach with. So it was me, Cammy and we were two of the younger coaches going in at the time and then Stephen Sweeney, who's the Chief Operations mm-hmm. Officer at uh, Aberdeen Community Trust still. and um, he was also a youth academy coach at the time. So he was sort of like the, the lead coach and then me and Cammy went in um, uh, underneath him. So that's kinda how
5: mm-hmm.
2: it was with mm-hmm. me and Cami and then ads. And then Dan was Got involved in the group as well. When we went to go on holiday, we went to we wanted to have like a, a holiday away. and we, we decided we wanted to make it a football holiday, so we went to Norman Madrid. And um, so I'd said, it was me and Cami. I think had first mentioned it to each other. Um, I'd said, oh, you know, I know this guy, has He's a great guy. You know, we'll get him along. And Cami then said, oh, I know, I know Dan. Dan, Dan will love that as well. He's big into football as well. So. Um, that's sort of how the group came together and then it was min- I met Dan probably on a night out and I says, oh, I think You're that mm-hmm. keeper that played for Keith that one time when you had a fucking shit show
1: and <laughs> <laughs> groin. and a torn Groin to get my excuse in.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so he says
5: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. sort
2: of how the group got together and yeah, the holiday the holiday was brilliant, but we went to two games, Athletic Commodore against Bayer Leverkusen. Um, the Champions League, I think it was the last 16 game, finished 0 0. I think the highlight of the game was a uh, uh, Jan All Black triple save, still gets played on UEFA's Twitter reel sometimes. Um, oh, man. And then and that tells you a bit about the game that that was the highlight. Yeah, and it then, was pretty uh, garbage. The, yeah, it was garbage, yeah. And then they, they, we went to Dortmund and we watched Dortmund versus Ingolstadt and it was 1 0. So we travelled to, you know, I think Germany, Holland We travelled over thousands of miles And we saw one goal I
0: know stopped. So you're blaming Daniel for that Completely.
2: Pretty
0: much. <laughs> he can take the blame. The goalie of the group can take the blame. Yeah. But I, wa- I wanted to... In, 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 all, in all seriousness, Dortmund are a club that actually are really interesting because they are obviously being blessed with blending in young guys. We've seen Jaden Sancho really come through the ranks. We're, we're seeing a lot of guys like Erling Haaland really come to fore. Do Dortmund have indirectly a link to you guys in terms of your own sh- own roles and what... Klopp has done before he went to Liverpool, and and obviously what they're doing at the moment. Got
1: one speed, dial, Grant,
0: Actually.
1: <laughs> only because, only because I lost the tickets before the game when we got there.
0: <laughs> oh, what a western!
1: <laughs> Where did you find them, Dad? Where did you find them? In his jacket pocket. In my jacket pocket. We were checking pots, pans, everything in this
2: apartment that we were in. <laughs> Drawers that weren't even opened. Drawers that weren't been in. We found them in his fucking jacket pocket.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the hangover wasn't making No.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. The but the Dormund are a side that, you know, I, I really admire in German football. I know Munich are really successful and of course recently have won the Champions League. But Dormund, I feel under Klopp especially, really changed the landscape of German football. You know, players like Lewandowski and Royce and Goethe and people like that. But even now with Sancho and Haaland coming in, they are really I think young people look to those guys in particular and aspire to get to their status in the, in years to come.
1: Yeah, I think Dortmund uh, are a very different club to Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich are very much about being at an elite level and and having the best of the best. Um, Whereas Dortmund, like I grew up in Germany, not far from Dortmund for a while, my dad was near the F and they were one of the local teams and they they were all over youth football everywhere because they're very much attributed to player progression as opposed to like being at that high level right now. And, and you see that with the players that they sign, like Sancho like Haaland It's all young guys. It's not like they're not signing like Aubameyang back. They took Aubameyang when he was younger and like exactly. kind of becoming what he is. Like they don't sign guys that are, are ready made. They they take guys that they see great potential in yeah, and they mould them to the player they want to be. Mm-hmm. And they create an environment. I think like see with Haaland, he had all the opportunities in the world to go to Man City, Man U. Like everyone thought he was going to Man U, didn't they? Mm-hmm and uh, all of a sudden it's like yeah Dortmund turned up and they made them feel like 10 times better than man you did the same with Jude Bellingham that's just gone just now of course they, they, they've got something when they sell the club I'm not sure what it is but when they sell the club to these young kids it's, it's far beyond anybody else anybody else, like, they've
0: got it sussed. Yeah definitely, and I want to come to Cameron a little bit because obviously Rangers are really building a lot of youth obviously at Murray Park and a lot of youngsters coming through, I mean what's your thoughts on Rangers long term because Steven Gerrard is really trying to obviously stop the 10 year long, the short term, but long term Rangers have got some really nice youngsters coming through haven't
3: they? Yeah it's, it's one of those difficult ones, the club I came from uh, before I moved to Rangers was the youngest Uh, club in Europe. So basically their whole model was, it was similar to Dortmund but on a smaller scale. So they were all about, they were a feeder club and they recognised that and they thrived in it. So they picked up 18, 19-year-old kids, they gave them their debuts, they played two or three years and then sold on for a profit. But with that comes an expectation that you're not going to win leagues. Our expectation every year in Denmark was to finish top six, which was still Mm -hmm. commendable and we managed to get into Europa League a few seasons as well.
0: But this is FC Nordchiland, isn't it, by the way? The just to, just different to yeah. When yeah. you
3: come to the Rangers it's it's a totally different ball game, as everyone from Scotland is aware of. There's there's two clubs that battle out for the title every single year and you either win the title or you're a failure. There's there's no in between in Scotland. It's not like England where top four or the FA Cups also a success and stuff like that. So in Scotland the actual the pressure
0: to be able to play in those games is massive mm-hmm. in terms of being a youth player. There's no
3: real room for growing them unless they're a hundred percent ready. So right now we have uh, Nathan Patterson, yeah our right back that's that's excellent and is doing very, very well. The difficulty he's got is the player he's trying to get out of the shirt is the club captain in Tav.
0: Yeah. James Tavanier. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's one of those as well. Every single youth player, it doesn't matter what club you're at, you need to be better than the player that's currently in your shirt. Yeah. And the problem the Rangers, and it's a good problem to have, depending on what side of the the table you work at, is they have the ability and the money now mm-hmm. to go and buy players from all around the world. Yeah. Roof is a is a top class striker. Let's let's not be about the bush. He's come from Anderlecht, He played for Leeds United. He's a good good player with hundreds of uh, caps in league football. So for a youngster at 17, 18 to go and compete against that is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't know if this is the forum for it, but obviously there's been plenty of discussion over B-teams in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Now, for anyone that's actually read the paper or looked at the evidence, eight um, out of the top 12 leagues in Europe use B-teams, yeah. if you look at Croatia, which is probably the best example for a country like Scotland in terms of where we want to go. They use B teams, and their top three clubs have B teams, and that helps them develop players in terms of population, which is comparable to Scotland. So, it is something that I think the nation really needs to look at because it's not just a right one size fits all and right. Listen, Celtic and Rangers will get B teams, and everybody else can go can go do whatever they want. But the actual proposal was, Scott, if you had the money and the finances to actually carry a second team, because. It does take financial backing to have a whole second string of 20 players to go and play competitively in a league.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: If you couldn't do that, there was also proposals of could you have a more extensive loan system where yeah. you can loan more players to one club. So could you have a good par- club partnership with maybe some of the smaller clubs in the Premier League that still have very, very good youth players. Could go and play because it's all about trying to get experience into that top 16, 17, 18 year old players at adult football mm-hmm. and that's where Scotland struggles massively Yeah. and to be honest England does as well and that's why you see more and more English talent going abroad.
0: Yeah, definitely. The
3: is there. So Everybody at Man City knew Jaren Sancho was amazing,
0: the issue was
3: Jaden Sancho was never going to displace Raheem Sterling who cost £50 million, pounds. Exactly. He's never going to replace Sane who cost the club whatever it was, 40, 50 million pounds.
0: He wasn't going to replace David Silva, who can do that job, obviously, and of course his name had moved on, Absolutely. but he would never replace him, Obviously, he's a club legend at City.
3: The difference is, uh, the new director of Rangers, a guy called Ross Wilson that came yeah. from Southampton is excellent. This is him who's
0: replaced um, Mark, um, Mark Allen, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so yeah. the new director of football, and part of his role is looking at, uh, we call it succession planning, so we look at, if we have a youngster that we deem good enough, 16, 17, 18 year old, can we actually get to a place where we're making room for him within the squad? Mm-hmm. So if anybody looked at the transfer activity of Rangers in the summer, you'll see that John Flanagan yeah. and uh, Matt Palsner yeah. left the club, yeah. so two right back left backs left the club because the club knew that Nathan Patterson was coming through, so it's about giving them that opportunity of, you're never going to be handed a spot, especially at a club like Rangers, you're never going to be given a, a starting spot. but to have you got the actual opportunity to go and compete for these places rather than being the eighth choice right back
0: exactly under 16,
3: 17. so it is very difficult with top clubs to try and get through and that's where clubs like Dortmund have found this niche mm-hmm. where they're going and they're basically cherry picking because I've done, I've done a lot of games and seen a lot of under-23s football in England and the standard's are unbelievable, like mm-hmm. if you look at what Chelsea have done this year, exactly. Mason and Sam Abrams, these kids have
0: Billy Goldmore, of course as well
3: these kids have been good for years it's about having the actual opportunity to play first team yep. football and that's where Dortmund see that niche in the market and they can go to 18, 19 year olds and say listen we'll play you and that's a big reason why Jude Bellingham went there over the other clubs because let's be honest he went to Matt New he's never displacing Paul Pogba he's never displacing Bruno Fernandes because yep. of the money they've paid for him whereas he knows if he goes to Dortmund he'll get game time because they see a future form. They'll play him. They'll give him 50 appearances. They'll probably sell him for 40 million. Yeah. And that's the way they model their performance. Absolutely. They're not the to
0: yeah, absolutely. And that nicely comes on to what I'm going to ask Adam, because obviously being involved with Southampton and Manchester United, where Southampton have always been blessed by playing young guys in the past and then selling them on for, for big money. And Manchester United, of course, now bringing through your likes of your Mason Greenwoods and your and your uh, Marcus Rashford's uh, and people like Timothy Fosu Mensah and Borthwick Jackson, who under Louis van Gaal were really getting some game time. That has to be a positive thing as well, long term at United.
4: Um, yeah, I can't remember the exact number of minutes, um, or the exact number of games, but I think you know, the world uh, I think it's almost 4,000 or something, something absolutely crazy. i probably got minutes of games where they've had a youth academy player in the in the matchday squad. Um, it's it's absolutely frightening. It's the best record in, in the world um, for, for producing, they are the best club in my best club in the world for producing young players. I, I don't think anyone can question that in terms of who they produced so far, in that record stands alone um, above every club in Southampton, Southampton's actual Youth Academy model. And the club's and Youth Academy's ambition is to have a s first team squad that's fifty percent made up of, of the youth academy. Yeah. To have an so um so yeah. That shows exactly that's one mm-hmm. thing when I started with the pre academy, that's something that they want to that they want to drill into everybody so everyone knows and knows the standards of what they're to expect. But I think uh, similar to, to what they were saying about Dortmund and things like that, Southampton. It's, it would take a lot for them to be able to keep
0: players like the Van Dykes, the Mannies, the, the Lloranas, and the players like that. Because Southampton had a squad I'm back in the day like when I'm obviously Bale was in the side. Ward Prowse was obviously just coming through the ranks. You know, up front, Shane Long was was beginning to reassert himself. You had a lot of really young talent in there, like Sam Gallagher, who went on to do really well in the Championship. Ryan Bertrand, who's who's still there, and and those spells at Chelsea as well. So you know Southampton. I've always seen as a club that if they had kept their, their really young players they, they could have been a top four side but they couldn't because obviously they're trying to just recycle and keep rebuilding yeah that's
4: so one other thing they're, they're, they're trying to it's, it's when, when, a, when a young player gets offered 60-70 grand a week they're, they're not going to say no I don't think it's a case of the club trying to get rid of them and no to absolutely them to offer the money on the player and they want the player they want to produce great players and to be successful same as most clubs but um, you know financially they just can't compete same as there's such a golf within the Premier League same as it's not it's not nearly as, um, as big a golf as in, as in Scottish football brain yourself and like everyone else financially but um, there's a big golf in there so no I was amazed to be honest when I was at the club and the ethos and just producing players and producing people and even staff they've got that has uh, such a when I told them about about the opportunity to go to, to, to Man United and that, they were, they were brilliant, they, they were happy that I, was, I, was, I would be able to move on to, to what potentially would be a, a bigger role within a, a big club and they just want to improve everybody, whether it's a player, a member of staff, regardless of who it is, it was, a, it was a really special club to be at.
0: I wanted to ask you Adam about Greenwood and Rashford, I mean did you expect them to hit the heights that they've done at Manchester United? Um,
4: listen, my job's community. Um, I'm working on the community at the moment. Um, I obviously want to tip on to into, into the academy at some point, but I don't think I'm, I'm in any place to be questioning or, or comment on disagreement or what But from a supporter's point of view, not as a, as a member staff, but as a, as a supporter, it's been so great to see them coming through. And I think they're, they're examples to every player, not just Man United the academy players, but everybody. That If you work hard, then, then, you, can, then you can get in. And, as, as Cam said you've got clubs like that that are at the, the very top you, you don't get given opportunities you've got to work for
0: them Yeah, ab-
4: and your boys clearly did
0: yeah absolutely and Aaron it's really nice that I come back to you because obviously as a fellow Aberdeen fan myself we're, we're seeing guys like Dean Campbell really come through the ranks at Aberdeen Scott McKenna has obviously been been doing it as well there's other young guys that are definitely coming through that must be encouraging for Aberdeen long term yeah definitely with,
2: you know it's good that uh, you we know, speak about Southampton there as well. We've got a really good relationship with Southampton. We get opportunities now because we're producing better players. You know, we're getting invited to a lot of youth tournaments, and you know, I know, has been to a few of them as well. where We're going abroad, and we're really challenging ourselves against a lot of top opposition. And um, so you get to see, you know, teams that are, you know, I've. In terms of my coaching i've coached against man city and chelsea and juventus and all those that you know if a first team manager's cv you look at the teams that i've coached against in a youth sense it's brilliant and you know what, like if you play against better players and you play with better players you become a better player yourself and um, same as coaching you know if you coach against better teams you coach against better coaches you become a better coach yourself because they're going to challenge you in different ways um, and you know, I think that's really helping our players is getting that opportunity to play and compete at, at, at top levels at such a at such a young age. You know, we're taking them away, at, you know, nine, ten years old, away abroad without their parents, you know, staying on their own in hotel rooms, and there's a lot, a lot of responsibility to go on the lads. Um, but it's brilliant. You know, you get the the briefings with them beforehand, and you speak to them. And I, I've not been on one. You know, tournament yet where anything's went wrong in terms of kids' behaviour or the way they hold themselves, you know, everywhere we go we get told how good the kids have been and um, how you know, how well they hold themselves and we always get invited back to these top tournaments so it tells you a bit about the kids that we get and the, the kind of ethos and philosophy that we want to have within the, within the youth academy and obviously, you know, in terms of all top youth academies, I believe should have the ethos of not only developing top players but top people as well mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't just you know that shouldn't just be on their, their players but that should also be on their coaches as well you know a lot of youth academies sometimes in my opinion kind of forget about their coaches and quite rightly so it's about the players and bringing through players and um, because you know that's where that's where the money is in terms of the game and where, where money is getting made for, for people getting transferred through but you know I think your top youth academies look after your coaches as well um, and the fact that we've got a lot of good youth coaches at each age group that have those certain expertise at each age group uh, is allowing us to bring
0: through better players as well Yeah, absolutely, and I'm really glad you talked about youth coaches because in a previous podcast I talked to Stephen Boddy who is doing a really great amount of work with the Aberdeen FC Community Trust and a really great guy, but there's a lot of really great guys in at Aberdeen who are continuously striving to develop and improve, aren't they? Yeah, you know,
2: Stephen's one of them I work with Stephen in my full-time uh, job at the Community Trust and he's one that, that works non stop, you know, he's putting himself um out there on Twitter and he likes to um you know really show what he's trying to do which is really important. Um but
0: yeah he, he needs to lose the hat though.
2: <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot of a lot of coaches that, that are really determined. You know, obviously again like I mentioned earlier, we're not the biggest club in terms of the resource that we can have, but the amount of hours that we all put in, you know, from the youngest age groups all the way up to the, the oldest age groups, you know, because we know that you know it's the same as what we were saying earlier about playing against ex-pros or trying to put yourself up against ex-pros we're trying to put ourselves up we're trying to create players for the top level of Scottish football and i think every club in terms of our size should have the aim of trying to create players to be the best level possible and the best level possible for me and a lot of people say the english premier league but you know the best level for me is the champions league definitely to get players to play in the champions league and the amount of players that aberdeen have had in the last few years I haven't played in the Champions League. I think we've only had three players in our history since the Champions League was has started. that have played in it, and that's not good enough. You know, we need to we need to create more. But that's the ethos that we want to have, and that comes from coaches going above and beyond, you know, as we say, you're coaching against or trying to compete against Champions League clubs, your Man United's, your Rangers, your Southamptons that are creating very, very good players. So you need to work ten times harder and ten times clever than them to create that same level of player with less resource. And that's what we're going
0: to do. Yeah, absolutely. And Dan, it's really nice to come back to you because obviously you're you're managing at grassroots level. You're managing with a unique group of people at university level who are who are starting out and they develop for a short space of time and then they move on. I mean, how different is it for you?
1: Eddie, in one word. Um, it's, it's very different and like the majority of players that I see won't become professionals, won't even make it to, to SPFL level. There's your little Um, golden nugget that will though and I think I've maybe got one in my squad if not two that have got potential to go on and maybe make like a not full time career but a a decent part career out of football Um, however you keep you get a transition every couple well every year you you lose players because they graduate Um, this year it's one of the worst ones I've had uh, 13 players graduate all at the same time wow but I think at the same time you can relate that to how well we've done recently as well in the sense that we've had such a, a solid group learn and grow together um not just as footballers as as people like this is the amazing part of university football you see them grow outside of football and and into a professional life um it gets, it gets quite a bit more beyond football at university level but i think uh, in terms of the grassroots side of things they're all going to have a career at the level I'm at. Like the first team, juniors. They'll all be able to play football for the, the next 10 years until they decide, right, I've got a family, I can give it up. They can play on a Saturday at junior level reasonably comfortably. Um, but there's a, a couple of them could go further. Um, a couple of them probably will lose interest as they, as they develop their career um, because I think they've all acknowledged that they're not going to be professional footballers full-time. They've got to go and get a degree and become whatever they want. Um, bizarrely enough, and I don't know how, because when you when you get to know them, they all seem to do law at Aberdeen Uni. Um, and if you get to know them, you you begin to wonder how the fuck they're going to become a lawyer. guys. <laughs> 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 don't get me wrong. I love my bits, but. Uh, but yeah, there's a few there's a few
0: interesting ones that shock you, but... as a few people have said to me, they just look at me and they think, why did you become a doctor of uh, soil science or, ge- or geosciences? And then they look at me and they think, I'm an absolute numpty, but actually look at me now, so... <laughs> I, I, can gar- I can guarantee when I was at
1: university, like, my gaffer was going, like, there's no way that guy is going to be a structural engineer, and I w- would not trust him in a million months of Sundays to build me a house or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. But... It's a totally different aspect to what these guys do. Can't Absolutely. Because like, they're trying to get guys to come full-time footballers. Like, that's the, the aim for them. What I'm trying to get at my level is like, the maximum out of football that they can whilst they pursue another career. Yeah, um, And use football to help maybe get a better career outside of football. Definitely. You know, which, is, which is possible. And I think actually it's a, it's a unique tool, football. It's a, it gives you a lot of life lessons and see, like, it might not interest a lot of folk, but I say to my players when you go and write your CV to do a job, like, you've got to stand out somehow, right? Because then, oh, I'm going to, like, I've done my chemical engineering degree or something, and I'll go become a chemical engineer. But you forget, when you go for an interview, everyone going for that job's got a chemical engineering degree, and you've got to have something that separates you from the other
0: person that's got the same tick in the box. Yeah, it's that, uh, it's that hard and soft skills, isn't it? That's the term that's used, isn't it? soft skills. And uh, I think
1: football actually allows that in abundance, and you can actually really utilise that. And uh, I think the other guys will admit it as well. They've got to teach it coming through youth academy, but other guys, and we won't make it um, professionally, they've got to teach them that, so they can uh, advance elsewhere. But also, in a professional sense, that you need to teach them that to become a professional
0: footballer as well. Yeah, well, well, let's invite the other guys back in because I think Dan's point's really interesting. I mean, what what do you guys think about, about that, comments? All right, so I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, I think it's literally my, my full-time job, to be honest, is working with, with, um, with kids within schools,
4: whether well, it was prime schools, now within secondary schools for, for United, and going in there and, and supporting kids who potentially disengage with school and don't, and don't potentially see a future for themselves than, than academic purposes but I love football and I've got such a relationship with football and it's just how can we how can we put uh, all these we've got, I say from football they've got skills like resilience they are confident within that aspect but when you apply that to another subject or another life skill it's not it's not there um, so it's just how can we use football as a, as a power um, and as a catalyst to, to inspire a positive change within their life, and so yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely spoiling that. say we need was Working with kids a little bit younger, but yeah, you still get that hunger to a football player, which and it's so important not to not to crush that dream and let them have it. I mean, let them go and try and be a football player, brilliant. But can we make sure that they're prepared? that If that doesn't happen for whatever reason, whether it's injury, whether it's anyone else, um.
0: Yeah, very interested to hear that points from Adam, um, Cameron. Cameron, what about your thoughts on this? Oh, sorry, i uh, just got over that. just dropped out. Cameron, what's your thoughts?
4: It's
0: not my computer, so that's a good thing. Cameron, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so
3: it's it's one of those in order to. Uh, play football at any level, you have to survive a change room, first of all. And I think it doesn't matter what level you play at, sometimes the the more amateur or semi-professional the change room it is, the, the tougher or more brutal the change room becomes. But it's one of those where it does build character skills but it also builds loads of other different types of skills because you're always on that pitch with a ten or a guys unless unless somebody's in red and been sitting off. you've got to you've got to work as a team, you've got to take that that ownership of your role, especially nowadays where loads of teams are way more organized, especially throughout football as, as coaching's developing and people are actually taking more of an investment within within that side of the game. So you have to be part of the team, but at the same time you need to regain that individualism. I think a lot of the time, what we see at, at my level in particular is because, especially at Rangers, there's so much rules and standards, which is very, very good a lot of kids are struggling to find that that part of themselves where they can be an individual and actually show that little bit of creativity so I think at top clubs all over the world there's things like black boot policies and no hair dyes and clean shaven and no earrings and it does become very very strict so at that point players do struggle to find their their own little identity especially at 16, 17 when you're trying to decide what kind of person you are
5: mm-hmm.
3: I think we often forget that until you're about 20 21, if everybody thinks back you change so much between that 15 15 16 to 2021 21 you you, do change, you grow up like properly grow up especially when you make that first move whether it's to university or professional football like, we've got loads of kids that come from northern ireland or we've just signed a guy from blackpool and from even like from shetland like they're now moving away from home they live on their own they live in a new city They there's so much that goes with that and football can be a great place for you to find friendship because naturally, doesn't matter what level you're at, if you're in a changing room, you all love football. Yeah. Whether you're full time, you're amateur, you're university, so it does give you so much opportunities and then you can make friends for life so as, as the four guys on here, like we've all met through football, otherwise we'd never know each other. and It does give you so much other things rather than just what you do in the 90
0: minutes I love the way you said that people grew up between a certain age range Cameron especially when you talked about the fact that you had your ears pierced when you were older younger sorry that was uh, that was very funny and quite I just wanted to marry that together Alan final word to you on this question
2: yeah I mean again echoing what the guys have said but I mean for me kids and culture nowadays is so much less resilient than it used to be I you totally know, agree I'm, I'm, I'm similar to, to Abby just now because things are changing obviously with this COVID-19 I'm working in schools a wee bit just now. And, you know you see kids in schools that, 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 that what I'm delivering is more football based and you play games, you know, you might play, we I mean mostly play football matches or you play, you know, you might, you might play basketball matches or you might play, you know, you might, you might just play a little fun game, just something completely different. And you know, giving it back, it back to football, you know, if teams go 2-0 down for example, or or in a school setting they just give up they just don't play that's it I'm not playing Um, and I don't want to do it anymore and it's like you're 2-0 down you know we're 10 minutes into the game like we've still got an hour left of this activity like why are you giving but how do you force a kid when they're just giving up to not give up in that setting you know it's different with the youth academy setting where as we've kind of mentioned that's what they're aiming to do they're aiming to be a footballer so it's easier to have that hook to try and change them but in a school setting and an overall culture setting of, of of nowadays society, it's a lot less resilient. And, you know, even I look at the parents. Again, from the youth academy side of things, when I was talking about the tournaments, um, when we go across to, to Holland and, and we go to Germany and things, all those uh, mid-European teams, they they all the kids live with host families for the weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they stay with they stay with families and they, they go away for a weekend they, with the people that they, they don't know. Yeah. Um And we can I, I, obviously we take the kids away and we take them to a hotel and we look after them and they're in the rooms themselves and the parents are and we think that's quite resilient for a kid to stay in a hotel room themselves and with a couple, you know a couple of their pals or whatever and not stay up too late but you know stay with a host family which you know as a as a nine, 10 kid is totally you know out of the ordinary for them. I've spoken to a couple of parents of it. Mm-hmm. Put your kids to host families. You know, they're living with a German family for the weekend and you know the parents over here are going, No, no chance. Absolutely no chance. Mm-hmm. You know and you're saying, well, why? You know, it, they're, 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 there's just that fear, there's that less resilience of what goes on. So, you know, that's in, in my opinion and that's what we're trying to do the youth academies and even in, this, in the school setting like, like Adam was saying I'm, I'm quite lucky that I'm doing a bit of both you know I'm doing the school setting just now and then I'm doing the the youth academy setting in the evenings um, and it's trying to get that, that balance of both of, of teaching kids to be that more resilient so again when we're talking about job interviews if you don't get a you know even sorry job interviews if you don't get the job you know how are you going to how are you going to react is it going to be his fault, her fault, you know, their fault, your dog's fault, your grandma's fault, your mum's fault. Or yeah. is it actually, you know, you need to look at yourself and say, it's, it's my fault. You know, I didn't prepare properly enough. I didn't, you know, my CV wasn't as good or, or or whatever wasn't as good. But nowadays, society tells us that it's everyone else's fault. And, you know, that's what we need to try and get into kids to, to take that responsibility and that ownership of themselves. And uh, that'll really help them, I think
0: and that ownership for me is a really interesting point I get from that and I think that's really important to people who are listening to this and I think these guys are far more experience than I ever will so listen to them and and let me know your thoughts on that we're heading towards the end of a really interesting podcast, it's been really juicy and I've really enjoyed the discussion that we've talked about, my last question to you guys is obviously COVID-19 has really changed the landscape of coaching football as we know it what, how do you see the future of coaching
2: I think it's opened us up to more platforms to use coaching with You know, like, so when you look at coach education Dan mentioned it earlier about your coach ed courses where we're now doing them on on Zoom, um, and there's more opportunities to do. You know, you've got people. I, I did a performance analysis course uh, during lockdown, and it was at seven o'clock at night. And while I was on this call, there was people from. You know, there was a, literally a guy on the call that was from China, and it was two o'clock in the morning. And then there was guys from the other end of the world in America that were on the call as well. So I think it opens. You know, or, or what? What was what's happened? has opened us up to realise there's more opportunities to to use more technology within football and, and within coaching you know especially as I said the Zoom calls for coach education where you can get people from China and America and Scotland and England and Ireland in the same not in the same room but in the same virtual room at the same time I think it's amazing because the amount of different opportunities you get I mean on, on the call and on the performance analysis was uh, David Robertson who's obviously over in, in uh, India just now legend you know so it's the middle
0: it's and previous guests like, of the show of course
2: for them over there so it's it's it, it just it, I think it's opened up to, to do more and again especially for me as a coach it, yeah, I always think it's it's about the, the time and the pitch and that is the most important thing and the time but it just it opens you up to I think that we, we can use Zoom even from a business point of view you know again from I'm looking at the, the community trust side of things where we've had so much meetings on the Teams Microsoft Teams or Zoom calls and things and Skype calls and things, you know, it just opens up, it, it kind of opens up your diary a bit more as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, some people might say, oh, I'm not going to go to that meeting or I can't attend that meeting because it's a half an hour drive and then like, it's a half an hour drive back, whereas you can actually just open up your laptop nowadays and you're on Zoom with, with people that's from across the world, so I think it's, it's changed it, but it, if, you know, we can, we can use it as a positive and say that it's changed it in a positive way and... You know, we can't just say, right, we're just going to go back to the norm and back to what it was. You know, We've got to embrace these new technologies. And I think this is definitely something that's forced us to, to experiment with these new technologies and get things right and get things wrong and, and, and really use them for advantage or our disadvantage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do any of the guys want to comment? Uh, I think I'll jump in
1: there as well because Scully, Scully makes a very, very good point I, it's very difficult time but I think actually it's, it's really positive with football um, and he, he mentioned a minute ago about um the concern about young players taking ownership and just the attitude nowadays with the younger generation but I think you're going to get forced into it now because you won't always get the opportunity unless you're at a big club to, to go and train in in the masses um, and I've noticed it with the, the university team like I'm having a Kind of design training sessions to do work in pairs on your own from home, um, and if we go back into any main lockdown, you're going to have to do that again. So, so now I think there'll be will be part of it that you're having to give the player ownership of their own progression and say, like, look, we can't physically give you the tool in this this environment. However, it still does exist for you to to go and work, but you've got to do it on your own, and it's now actually in your hands how you progress.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can't spoon feed you, but here it is. It's up to you. Um
0: it's being, pro- gonna... it's being proactive rather than reactive, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's the phrase I, I'd use. I think that the think it's gonna be good and it might,
1: might actually change the younger generation's sort of viewpoint on things. I hope I hope it does. Um and and yeah, I think there'll be a lot more ownership forced upon the player. Coaches don't have to do a lot of work in order to make it work. But I think there'll be opportunities to grow that ownership
0: that Scotty mentioned. Um, within him mm-hmm. interesting, Let, let's bring Cameron into this, I, I'm interested to see what it's like from a, from a Rangers point of view most, collect, most specifically
3: yeah so like, I totally get what the guys are saying and some of the stuff that we've, that's come out of Covid has been great but from an actual practical point of view and now we're trying to get back into training, it is about a nightmare if we're honest, um, we're limited to how much time we can have the boys in the building so see at full time level Normally the boys would be in, they'd be doing jobs, which obviously has its own benefit. We also have a lot more time on the pitch with them. We can have time in video analysis suites with them and all those different things. And while, while Zoom's great, doing a doing a video analysis session with a kid over, over Zoom is, is never going to be as good as doing it live. Definitely. The, where you can have everything else and have the conversations and get that feeling off each other. And then at the same time, as like every other club in the UK right now, we're limited to how much time the boys can be on site for, so we're limited to two hours. So whereas normally we could do double sessions, we can do things like team training sessions and we could do individual training sessions afterwards to do that. That extra practice is very, very hard now for the boys to get that. As well as looking at the B team, which is, which is still part of the role within that, they're still limited, so they can only go maximum of 18 players. So we've got the... Sometimes squads are bigger than that, so then you have to go into two groups, so then you're in two smaller groups, and it, it is very challenging at a full-time functional level because so much of your hands are tied in terms of what you can do, what equipment you can use, and and all those things, but if we're honest, we're just delighted to be back on the pitch. Yeah. Like it's been so long, we are, we are restricted to literally only using Zoom to yeah. coach, which is never going to work. Players want to play, coaches want to be on the pitch with them, so... Ideally, oh, you. get back to, back to normal as soon as possible, but at least we've, we've progressed from where we were two months ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cali. Sorry, Daniel.
1: Yeah, just a question for Cammy, actually. Like, with, with you having less contact time with players, have you increased their own individual workload outside of things? Obviously, not, not within Zoom, but like, uh, like their own personal programmes. Do they go do their own thing outside? Yeah, so the club are massive on IPTs, so just individual development
3: plans and all these types of things and because we can't do that at the training ground, they have to do it on their own so we've done things like they've got to record it themselves and we talk through it as feedback sessions but the thing you can't replicate is we can link IPTs together so say you've got a winger that's working on his crossing ability you can link that with either a defending aspect for defenders working on clearances or defensive headers or you can link it with strikers as well so you can get more quality by adding two or three players to that individual development plan, whereas when they're on their own, they're isolated, most of the time, again, just Scotland being Scotland, the facilities aren't always there, so boys are gonna go train on pitches that haven't been cut, they're not flat, and again, like, I don't wanna come across that I'm, I'm being pedantic or fussy, but when we're talking about the, the highest level of Scottish football and football players, their training facilities does become important. Like, this yeah, speak all the really- time marginal gains at the top level half the time we're still battling to try and get just the normal gains being on a good surface being able to actually go to a training pitch and like we all know it's one of our pet peeves that you you go past a patch of grass and there's no ball to sign games or you go past an astro that's just recently been laid and it's locked up and nobody's allowed on it so it's it's part of those those issues as well that we face with COVID.
0: Uh, absolutely, and I, and I, I think that was a really interesting point that Cameron made. And let, let's leave it with Adam. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on post-COVID?
4: Um, England's obviously been slightly different. We've been pretty relaxed, um, or the rules have been relaxed since I've moved out. Um, we've been back full contact training for the last three weeks. Um, we've played two games, played two friendly games. Uh, the other thing that's been limited is, is fans coming in. Um, since, I, since i moved out and obviously coaching like it's been slightly different um, but i think the biggest thing is and the boys touched on it there is we spoke about it when we spoke about young opportunities for young coaches and the advice for that is you okay, can use COVID as, a, as an excuse or an opportunity you know obviously dan's use it as an opportunity to go and learn go on, go on his courses same as aaron because they've got a great attitude they've used it as, as an opportunity to learn and, and develop themselves. but there'll be, there'll be some people out there players both players and coaches that are have gone on because I can't do this I'm not going to bother doing it um, it's a bit of attitude that you come out with it but the biggest I'm going to take from it is, as a coach is stop talking as much about the players play. they've not played in so long they've not kicked the ball as so long as that are generally but yeah well. <laughs> Uh, as you say
0: is he bullying you again Adam that's that's terrible <laughs> that. That, that. don't let him away with that don't let him away with that, that that's just
4: ridiculous <laughs> He stops upset with my goals but don't worry uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, be the biggest thing me, with, <laughs> the biggest thing I'm away from as an coach is just how the players play uh, yeah. that, like, that, and, yeah. then player, and then as a player and as a player it's just Again, there's no real high place. Obviously, Dan's expecting from his players' potential. I was going to say the same age as me, but I'm kidding myself on there. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, with five, six years younger, but you know, when you're working with, with adults, it's to make sure that they're making sure myself, I keep myself fit so the gaff can only do so much. Um, but yeah, that'll be the biggest thing is, is you can either use it as, a, as an excuse or an opportunity, so which one are you going to use, but, yeah that will be, be it
0: for me to be honest and last question for every single one of you uh, what does the future hold because you guys are really making headway in a range of different ways in the coaching game I mean what does the future hold
1: hopefully a busy holiday first and foremost
0: Grant. you owe me a drink for a start so that's that's, Aye, a, that's totally definitely something question. that has to happen and I'm sure everybody else in this call would agree with that <laughs> oh, I think everybody
1: like outside ourselves as well is all looking forward to a little bit of chance to to go and uh, just relax a bit. But the four of us, I think, when we get the opportunity to get together, there'll be uh, less football discussed first and foremost, and uh aye, a bit more social and kind of get together.
0: Definitely, Cameron. What about you?
1: Okay. Uh, well, apart from the, the
3: holidays that Dan's going to pick and pay for, apparently, which sounds magnificent.
0: I agree. Uh, Hope I'm invited, by the way.
3: <laughs> absolutely. As long as Toy Story is playing on the flight, we'll be all good. <laughs> Personally, as I say, just recently moved to Rangers, so I'm still finding my feet. Oh, yeah. You never mentioned it. <laughs> I'm still finding my feet there and uh, loving every minute. So the plan would just be to learn as much as I can off the the guys there, the the coaching staff, availables. Unbelievable. If you look at the first team, instead of Steven Gerrard, Gary McAllister, Michael Beale, but then even down into the the B team and the the A teams, you've got
0: Graham Murray. You've got Kevin Thompson, Brian Gilmore, all yeah. these
3: guys, so I plan on taking as much as I can off them as I can in the next few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely fantastic. You've got a great group of folk to work with at Rangers, Cameron, I'm, I'm, I'm really jealous personally for, for you. Aaron, what about yourself?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking to do just as much coaching as I possibly can, get back onto the pitch. Um, you know, in, in terms of coaching and playing, I just want to get back on the pitch. and. Do as much as I can. Learn as much as I can. Um, you know, I think you get more opportunities to do that when you're in it in a full-time position. So, you know, doing coaching in a full-time position um, at a club would be would be brilliant. You know, working with with young players that um, that love the game and want to learn is is it drives you on as a coach. It drives me certainly on as a coach. It makes me want to do more. It makes me want to learn more. It challenges me more. So, um, yeah, doing that in a full-time capacity. Be, be brilliant just to keep my mind occupied and trying to think about football and trying to think about ways to improve myself. So, um, yeah, I would, I would I would, love that opportunity to work in coaching and maybe in a youth academy environment or in another environment at a,
4: at a full-time level would be, would be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And final word to Adam. Um, for myself, again, similar to... I'm kind of starting a new role. It's just making sure that I'm, that I'm doing the best I can at United, and, and making sure I'm, uh, I'm ready to, to go to go there. Um, I think I'm, I'm loving the role that I've got in terms of the community and, and seeing how much of an impact football can have on on people. Um, I also want to start doing, obviously, getting getting into a bit more coaching side of it. And, whether it's, whether it's a, within the youth teams and or just the team in general, so we want we get back on the touch coaching. So that's definitely something to add. And then obviously keep playing and think I've, I've managed to land land very lucky. I've been one hundred percent honest with them. Um, with knowing the gaffer through through the a license and, and with Andy and things like that. So I've been quite lucky getting in a body and they're an unbelievable club. Um, Good people and um, within the club trying to do the right things um, for them and. Uh, and for the fans, most importantly, who have been absolutely, um, absolutely incredible, to be honest, both on social media and the last game we played on Wednesday. So I'm, um, I've loved my life down in Manchester. I just need to get the, get the boys down, get the boys down for a night out when we can do um, and just keep working hard, hopefully, and hopefully things all...
0: I hope I'm invited to do this night out because this sounds like a real blast to me. <laughs>
1: There
0: can be podcast about this one, Grant, I can guarantee. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely sure about that. There can be no doubt about that. Guys, I've really, really enjoyed our discussion. Thanks for taking time out of your Friday night to chat with myself about coaching and a range of different other stories. Thanks for coming on Campbell's Footballs. Oh,
4: uh,
0: well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, in- Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs.
1: What a dangerous night!